either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome. We have a batch of new streaming releases to talk about and break down this week, and we'll check in with our studio correspondent, Daniel Baldwin, for the latest news. Glad you're here. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. Let's start with the story of a widow struggling to get by meeting a stranger who subscribes to a philosophy of positive thinking. This is the secret dare to dream. Looking for Miranda Wells? She's at work right now. You can leave with me. I'm her son. I'm afraid this comes with a little bit of an explanation. So hurricane warnings are up. Weather guy says it's gonna miss us, but... You can never be too careful. No matter how bad things are, they can always get worse. You come out here looking for her, and she runs into you? It's pretty weird. Is it? I'm open to the possibility that whatever happens... Oh my god. Even the bad stuff can lead to better things. I can't afford a new roof. Let me help. Why are you helping me? Oh, because I can. I don't understand what's happening here. I think you and I collided for a reason. So it's like a Nicholas Sparks movie if it were faith-based, but not that kind of faith-based. Yeah, it is. You could call it a faith-based film because it's a faith in a certain philosophy. This is the latest installment of The Secret franchise. And I'll be honest, I really didn't know much about it. It came about about 15 years ago. It started as a documentary and a book uh, by Rhonda Byrne that subscribes to the, they call it the, the law of attraction. Yeah. In other words, whatever you think about positively, whatever you visualize will come to you. It's manifesting. Yes. Yeah, so, it's nuts. So, so now we have a narrative version of that. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. And this is almost like I want to add, we want to add a disclaimer every time we review a quote-unquote faith-based movie because it doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter what you think about the actual gospel or whatever is being preached. You still have to tell a good story, and that's the problem with so many of these movies. Uh, you, You can come off as sounding like, well, you just don't believe. Well, that shouldn't matter. This is a movie. It's telling a story. And here it tells it horribly. I think we, we should pause and just so we're not going to offend anybody or, or mislead anybody. This is not a Christian film. It's just that it follows the same pattern uh, that has sunk so many Christian films. And it is. There is a faith. There's a philosophy behind it. And so that's why we're saying faith-based. But yeah. if, for most people, when you hear the film, the, the term right. faith-based, you think Christian. This isn't. Christian, and the gospel, in quotes, is this book called The Secret. So that's, I just want to make sure everybody's yeah, they, clear. They mention it, it, it falling in line with God's view a, a, a time or two, but I get what you're saying, because what they're preaching here is this philosophy of the law of attraction yes. this, that, that they called with The Secret. So, yeah, you've got Katie Holmes. She's playing a widow with three kids. They live in New Orleans. There's a hurricane warning storm coming, but uh, this Tennessee college professor at Vanderbilt. He doesn't care. He has to see her. He's got a message for her. He has something to deliver to her. And he drives down to find her. She finds him first by rear-ending him in traffic. And before he can really tell her what he's there to tell her, he just sort of falls in and becomes part of her life by fixing her car and then fixing the storm damage in her house. Even though she has a boyfriend, played by Jerry O'Connell. Oh, and I should say the the uh, the professor. That's uh, Josh Lucas. Right. 
So the, what he's down there to tell her sort of gets put on the back burner, and everybody loves him, and he just instantly enthralls her kids with his story of how magnets work. And from the beginning, it doesn't bear any resemblance to real life whatsoever. These characters are straight out of a greeting card, along with the dialogue, which is horrendous. You could mention the performances, but it's hard to blame them with this script and with these characters. It's everything about Plus, it. you're afraid you're going to sound mean <laughs> because a lot of the cast is youngsters and they don't have a great deal of talent. I'll say it so you don't have to. Yeah, I'm sure they're great kids, but <laughs> wow. And that just and you know what? That just doubled down to me how much how lazy they made this film. Yeah, because there's a take or two. There's, there's one take where they have this little girl and I'm sure she's great. God love her. But they have her pretend to cry. It's terrible. And somebody <laughs> said, well, the director and co-writer, Andy Tennant, said, yep, gets good, print it, print let's it. go. Yep. And it's just it's just so lazy because it always strikes me as the fact that they don't think they have to try very hard because they have a built-in audience already. I'm not sure that's true, right? but that's what it strikes me as. You're yeah. just not even trying to tell a good story. This is terrible. And then it gets to... The res- resolution, which is straight out of Nicholas Sparks, include it's so manipulative, so predictable, and then they throw you that shameless trump card at the end just for good measure, uh, and it's terrible. It's yeah, just terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But if you love this philosophy, and I'm not judging you for that at all, you we're may, just saying it's not a good we're movie. We're saying it's not a good movie. That's right. They should have visualized a better script. <laughs> Let's do a big 182A crime thriller next. Anglo-American relations go bad when London mob bosses invest in a West Virginia oil deal in hopes of laundering dirty money. It's called the Big Ugly. God. Land. Oil. It's often said war is ways over just these three. I didn't come here to West Virginia for God. Fiona's dead. She was sitting right there with Preston's boy. The oil boys. Getting on the bad side of Preston doesn't make life easier. There's a situation that needs finesse. If I can't stop a beast like him, then what's my purpose? This is from writer-director Scott Wiper, who is actually from Ohio. Not just Ohio, but, but very close by, yeah, actually, Granville. not not far outside Columbus, Ohio. That's right. All right. Um, and he's made a handful of films, and this is probably the biggest one he's done. We were calling it kind of a hillbilly noir. That's what I felt it was. Yeah. Because it just has a feel of those hard-boiled 1940s and 50s drama yeah, a lot of a lot of overhead fans, yeah, you know, yeah. a lot shadows. of shadows through this the slats yeah. of a of blinds. Updated for today with these mob bosses crossing with this West Virginia oil rig family, and you've got some great veteran actors here. You've got as as the two opposing sides. You've got Ron Perlman as the oil guy. You've got Malcolm McDowell as the top mob boss. Then really the main character here is the muscle of the mob, and that's Vinnie Jones. Yeah. He's uh he's he's very effective in this movie and I think what I liked the best about it was the sort of culture clash angle because it's not just your traditional mob 
family, right? I mean, it's it's sort of the British gritty crime drama mob kind of a story. And they come to the United States. So it's even a little bit more sort of fish out of water as they're dealing with West Virginia and Appalachia and things that can go missing out there and <laughs> things that, you know. I did like that angle. and I And I did really like the opportunity for these different veteran actors to shine because Malcolm McDowell and in particular Ron Perlman, they could have been kind of throwaway performances, but they really weren't. They they were pretty meaty roles, even though, as you say, it's primarily focused on Vinnie Jones. Yeah, because his character's girlfriend goes missing just when the mob Englanders are ready to go back home. And so he doesn't want to go back home. He's got to get to the bottom of this. And does it does it involve a member of the West Virginia oil family? And should there does revenge need to be taken? So I found it very entertaining. Not great. Some of the dialogue is a little awkward as it goes maybe too far into this noir feeling. And the final standoff, without giving anything away, I thought could have been a little stronger. I was looking forward to uh, the buildup all the, after all that. Uh, could have been a little stronger. But all in all, I was entertained by it. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was entertaining. I thought, I mean, uh, I not spent as much time in bars in West Virginia as you have, <laughs> but... Wow, their bartenders are nice. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, the two most ridiculously, not, I mean, just it's dumb. It's just dumb, these two female <laughs> bartenders and what they're willing to go through to help this guy out. Um, and, and, you know. That kind of goes along with the good-hearted dame thing from yeah, the noir. Yeah. So I get you. I get you. But there were a lot of, I don't know, kind of hackneyed story elements. But I think you're right. They carry it off. It's entertaining. Yeah, you're it, entertained throughout. Yeah, and it's called The Big Ugly. Next up is a drama set in World War II. An English woman opens her heart to an evacuee after initially resolving to be rid of him in a journey of womanhood, love, and friendship called Summerland. Frank, this is Miss Lamb, your new guardian. I don't want him. We've all got to do our bit. It's Frank here. What is it? His father. We just had the telegram. <laughs> Life is not kind. Anguish is inevitable. What matters is how you deal with it. Poor little lad, having to bear it on his own. He's not on his own. Nobody knows how to be a parent. But you two. Gosh, you make quite a pair. The written review for this one was done by our writer Rachel Willis, and you can find that one at madwolf.com. But uh, she was impressed by it. She liked it. Yeah, it looks beautiful. I mean, it's a really gorgeous film. It's a World War II set film, So, uh, but the uh, the period detail is, is really lovely. Uh, and Gemma Arterton stars. She's always so good. She really is always very good. And she She's stars... another one of those that also can change her look yes. very well because... If you, I'm looking right now at a still photo of it, and to think that she was in The Girl with All the Gifts, right. that a movie that I love so mm -hmm. well, she's just unrecognizable from yeah. that. Yeah, she is kind of a chameleon. And Gugu Mbatha-Ra has also an important, if not very large, role in this film, which sets an interesting stage. And then sort of flash forward to when... The main character, who's kind of ostracized, she's a little bit unpleasant, the town doesn't really love her, and she has to take in this young boy who is been displaced from London, and she doesn't want to. And so that sets up your odd couple, sort of a situation. And, of course, the two of them bring out the best in each other. Sure. And then hearts are broken and heartstrings <laughs> are pulled, and it, it's, a, it's a lovely 
sweet, sad, refreshing kind of a and film. And you've got two always welcome veteran British actors, Penelope Wilton and Tom Courtney are both in here. Yeah. Always a treat Agreed. to see both of those. So uh, definitely worth checking out if you like, especially this sort of period piece. And, and I agree, it looks fantastic. That's called Summerland. Got a few documentaries to talk about, and we'll start with the latest from director Ron Howard. It's the community of Paradise, California, a town in the Sierra Nevada foothills attempting to rebuild after devastating wildfires in 2018. It's called Rebuilding Paradise. It's like natural disaster flooding that we should be concerned about right now. Definitely for folks in tents who lost their homes in paradise. Give me your tarp right now. I realized right then and there, we're homeless. We have nowhere to go. The people that are really on the fringe right now aren't getting anything. Everyone I've talked to has said they've received nothing. I've come home to see how I can help. was reviewed for us on Mad Wolf by Brandon Thomas, and he was really impressed by it. Of course, it's your director who knows his way around a movie, and you know what? A fire movie to be at at that. (laughs) But it's a really engaging, edge-of-your-seat kind of a film that kind of helps you to reestablish your waning belief in humanity. Right, and some of the devastation. You just get so up close to Mm -hmm. what these people had to go through. Just just incredible. And yet, Ron Howard has really been taking a, an interest in documentaries here over right. the last few years. And definitely this one is really gripping and compelling. And you're right, when you need, and we need uh, <laughs> right now, to believe in the, in the power of goodness of people. Uh, this, this will help you with that. It's called Rebuilding Paradise, streaming now. Next up is a re-release of a documentary on the life, music, and legacy of Bob Marley. It's called Marley. The most important thing culturally that was happening in Jamaica at that time was Bob Marley exploding onto the world stage. There was that sense that he's about to be massive. My life is only important if me can help plenty people. In my life is just me, my own security. Let me know what I My life is for people. Are you a rich man? Do you have a lot of possessions? Possession make you rich? I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life. Yeah, the sort of seminal documentary on Bob Marley from documentarian Kevin McDonald from 2012 is being re-released. It was hard to get. It's being re-released this year uh, to coincide with Bob Marley's what would have been his 75th birthday so that you can find it more easily on streaming. And if you're a fan, it's just you said it's a must-see. Yeah, it is a must-see. I remember when we first heard about this that was coming out this week and made the connection that was the same movie that I reviewed back when we were writing for the newspaper. Right. And I had to go back and I was looking for my old review. I couldn't find it. So anyway, we had we had Seth Troyer, uh, one of our writers, review this for us. Uh, his his written review is up at madwolf.com. But yeah, Kevin McDonald, who was an Oscar winner, he yep. won for One Day in September years ago, documentary. And it is. It's, it's great. If you're a Bob Marley fan, obviously it's indispensable. Yeah. But for music docs, it's yeah. also very, very... Um, 
enlightening about his life, his dirt-poor upbringing, and how he stayed connected to the, the, the land, the town, where he was from and where he came from. And, of course, his tragic end. He died at the age of 36 Ugh. in 1981. And, of course, there's going to be great music in it, too. So many reasons. And the biggest one is that, yeah, you were saying it's been hard to get. Yep. And now they're trying to make it not hard to right, get, which right. is a good idea. So uh, definitely worth checking out the uh, music documentary, Marley. Another great documentary out this week is an inside look at the legal battles that lawyers for the American Civil Liberties Union are facing during the Trump administration. This is called The Fight. The A stands for American. Americans come first. We don't appreciate your work. You're a filthy organization. Obviously, most of you are pedophiles. People say, why don't you go work at a law firm? Why have this level of stress riding on your shoulders? All I've ever known how to do is fight, and so we just keep fighting. That's what we do. We are here right now. If I'm not going to be a civil rights lawyer right now, in this moment, when? This is one that you can get streaming from the Wexner Center for the Arts at wexarts.org, and also from Gateway Film Center at gatewayfilmcenter.org. Yeah, and this is directed by a trio of directors, Eli B. Despray, Josh Kriegman, and Elise Steinberg, and they're the same three directors who directed the documentary Wiener. Fascinating. And that's probably why we had our writer, Matt Wiener, <laughs> uh, review this for us. Is uh, No relation. His uh, written review is up at madwolf.com, and he absolutely loved it. He this. did love it. And so timely. Yeah, and, and it's these filmmakers, maybe because they proved themselves with Wiener, at being able to just really handle very candid information without passing judgment, they have more access to these lawyers than you yeah. would ever have expected right. from the ACLU. And they really, it really humanizes these legal maneuverings. And you are so weary with them. You are so exhausted with them. And, and, uh, and at the same time, Thank God. The movie just toes the line of just nihilism, just giving up, and then it pulls back. And, yeah. it, and it helps you to, again, reestablish this inexhaustible faith that, that people who work for the ACLU, who are willing to give up lucrative jobs as lawyers to do this really hard, thankless, important work. Yeah, and how much admiration they deserve for being often knocked back by negative decisions by the courts, yep. especially the Supreme Court, and then having the wherewithal to just keep fighting. Yeah. And it is called The Fight. Definitely worth looking up this week. And we've got two from our friends over at Shudder. The first is a documentary, an exploration of 80s horror movies through the perspective of the actors, directors, producers, and effects craftspeople who made them and their impact on contemporary cinema called In Search of Darkness. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? So this is the 80s. It was a free-for-all for concepts. When your guard is down, bam. Very impressive gore. 80s horror was honest. Most horrifying things that I'd ever seen. Terrific. It felt like a simpler time. Good and evil, right and wrong. It's pushing back against a lot of what's happening in the 80s at the time. Things that people really are afraid to talk about. Reaganomics, AIDS crisis. I wanted to do a balls-out horror movie. <laughs> Nostalgia is powerful. Guilty pleasure? I'm not guilty about it. <laughs> I don't feel guilty. <laughs> I think it's great. We have such sights to show you. 
Look at this, another wiener. <laughs> David A. Wiener is the writer-director here. And the first thing we should say about this movie is it's four and a half hours long. And we had to check because we thought, oh, is this a series? No, it's not. Right, because we get the opportunity, and we're so thankful for it, to see Shutter Originals before they come out. And they do do a lot of series, and they do a lot of documentary series. So when I was first watching this, I thought to myself, I missed something somewhere, and this is actually going to be cut up into a series. So I double-checked, and no, it is a four-and-a-half-hour documentary. And to be completely honest, I am personally not opposed to spending four and a half hours learning about 80s horror because I love 80s horror. And I was very excited at the opportunity to perhaps learn a bunch of stuff I didn't know, mm -hmm. hear about titles I didn't see. Not one, George, not one. I know. It was very disappointing. It reminded me of one of those late-night infomercials for the greatest hits of the 70s or right. the greatest hits of the 80s. Yeah, we know all those. Right. And people like you, or even like me, I don't love 80s horror as much as you do, you're wanting to dig in deeper, especially when you see a four-and-a-half-hour running time. Right. You think, you think oh, we are going to dig deep here. I know. And, but you don't. And even, you know, the, the description that you just read, well, that would have made a great movie if they did make connections from the things that were happening culturally and then how that was reflected in the films of the 80s and how that has had an impact on art of today. That would have been an amazing thing to talk about, but that doesn't come up at all. No, it just keeps coming from, like, in those infomercials, another song clip. Yeah. Yeah. From a big hit. Here's another clip from a movie you might remember. Okay. And then we just move on to the next one and move on to the next one. And and as you pointed out, anybody who sees this movie, the, the trailer or information about it, and sees that it's four and a half hours long, right there, if you're interested, if you're all in, that tells you that you're that this person is probably going to want more than this movie delivers because you probably already know all this. Right. If you if you enjoy this enough to commit to four and a half hours, you probably already know everything they're going to tell you. If it had been ninety minutes of just sort of perusing the yeah. VHS boxes at a rental store and talking about that, that would have been fun. And if it had been a four and a half hour movie that actually dug into things like you know sexism versus feminism in the Final Girl or you know VHS art or the impact that VHS or MTV had on 80s horror, that would have been fascinating to me. And here's the thing. They do take these these brief little detours periodically to touch on things like VHS art. And I thought, cool. And then the music. And I thought, okay, good. Because the, the music of the 80s yeah. horror is very specific to just that era. And I enjoy it. And I was waiting. And I, when I realized that we don't, they don't talk about the band Goblin at all in this, I thought to myself, why don't they talk about Goblin? And I realized they don't take talk about Argento. Then I realized they don't talk about any foreign horror film in this four and a half hour. That's glaring. In the, in the very opening, they have this group of people. Everybody shouts out their favorite film title from the 80s, and one of them says extra. And that word, extra, that is the closest you will ever get in four and a half hours to a discussion of a horror film from another country, which is profoundly disappointing. That is really glaring. I mean, they should have just say that in that synopsis, an exploration of American. 80s American horror. Because that is a big hole. Yes. Especially, again, we keep coming back to this running time, but think about that. It's four and a half hours, and all that time, nothing nope. outside of America. Whew. That is a glaring omission, and uh, we were quite disappointed with the scope and the lack of new insight or new yeah. ground at all in, in Search of Darkness. 
But there is a Shutter original this week we liked a lot better. Six friends hire a medium to hold a seance via Zoom during lockdown and quickly get far more than they bargained for as things quickly go wrong. It's called Host. I've never done this over Zoom. Obviously, we're not physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't communicate over the internet. Nothing's going to happen. Visualize us sitting in a circle. Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forth. This is not good. I told you not to disrespect the spirits. It could be something it's funny just today i saw a meme oh it wasn't a meme it was a screenshot of somebody's tweet that said hey movie producers and directors one thing i don't want to see when we get back to the theaters on the big screen is a zoom call (laughs) which is funny because this is out this week that's a funny way to put it but Horror movies always reflect what's going on in society, and let's face it, Zoom calls are what's going on right now, and this is a quick, it's only, it's about an hour, Yeah, a fun little way yeah. to, to put them in the context of a horror film. Yeah, I mean, and it works really well. Six people, they're friends, they don't get to see each other because they're on lockdown, and so they decide that they're going to have, like, a hangout all together and do something fun, like an event. So they have a seance. Uh, And it goes horribly wrong. It's executed really well. This is not rocket science. It is not the greatest movie. I think that it might have been, I mean, if you're a horror fan, especially if you're on horror Twitter at all, you probably have seen a lot of, oh, my God, scariest movie ever. Please don't go into it with high expectations (laughs) that, you know, because then you'll be disappointed. But it is effective and brief and fun and completely enjoyable. Yeah, and it's writer, it's co-writer and director Rob Savage. Really, I think the first thing that we know of him uh, doing, exactly. at least that, that we've heard of. So a good start. And again, it's only about an hour long. And if you have Shudder, hit it up. Yeah. I think, you'll, uh, I think you'll have fun with it. And that takes us to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Okay, we're back in the lobby. Want to get the latest skinny on what's happening with the studios and new releases and pushbacks and cancellations and all that and reschedules. And we turn to our studio correspondent. It's Daniel Baldwin, otherwise known as the Schlocketeer. Welcome back. Appreciate the time. Oh, thanks for having me. And I think the, the big headline, one of the big headlines we heard this week was the agreement between AMC movie theaters and Universal Studios. So how did that hash out? Uh, well, apparently, of course, they had been feuding because Universal had ticked them off for uh, just pulling trolls from theaters altogether earlier this year and tossing it onto VOD. But apparently, the agreement they have reached is to cut the theatrical window, theatrical release to when they can release the film on DVD, from 90 days down to 17. So I'm curious about that, you know, because, you know, for smaller films, a, a day and date release is not that uncommon. Something like Color Out of Space that was available theatrically and on VOD on the same day. So I, I guess it's hard for me to understand where the, the line is drawn there. I'm assuming what they mean is just for standard big wide releases. I guess conceivably, like, let's say Bloodshot got an actual regular release instead of just right before the pandemic hit. If it didn't do well in those first two weeks, they could just toss it on VOD like the Tuesday after that second Friday mm-hmm. and not get penalized for it, I guess is the point where I guess films that 
aren't doing well could go to VOD way faster. Uh, that we'll see how that hashes out once all the theaters <laughs> get back open. We've got to get to that <laughs> stage first. Okay, what else you hearing this week? What else is going on? There's a couple of small shifts. The Russell Crowe thriller Unhinged had been previously pulled from its July 31st release date. They've now reset the date as August 21st for now. The Train to Busan sequel Peninsula has been set for uh, Select Cities release on August 21st as well. Looking forward to that. Yes. Yes. We also heard about there's another new development for Tenet starting overseas. Yes, it is. I believe it's set to open internationally in over 70 countries starting August 26th. And then supposedly it will start opening in select U.S. cities on September 2nd. No news on any sort of VOD release. I imagine they're, I guess they're just going to roadshow through American cities and maybe drive-ins as they can throughout the fall and just go from there. That would be a wild cultural shift, wouldn't it, if the United States oh, got yeah. all the big movies last? Oh, yeah. I, I have a couple of friends that live overseas that are laughing that they're actually going to get to see it before everyone else for once. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it is a funny idea because our reviews are carried by the U.K. Film Review, which is in the U.K., and one of the reasons that they find our reviews helpful is because... Most of the studio films come out here first, and so they get the reviews earlier than they would if they were relying on writers who were based in the U.K., and it's just all of a sudden it's like, or not. <laughs> That's just such a, it's a weird shift. Yeah, and I guess if it pays off, I wouldn't be too surprised if we see a couple of other studios do the exact same thing. Sure. And I know the movie Piraters in America will be happy about right. that. <laughs> probably, yeah. There's, there's probably going to be camcorder recordings of Tenant all over the Internet. Oh, yeah. And then just in the last few minutes, I saw something about a new addition to the Scream 5 uh, installment. Yes, uh, the team behind Ready or Not have been signed on to do the next Scream movie. Uh, it will be a sequel. Um, I'm not sure how uh, centered it will be on the original actors, but David Arquette and Courtney Cox are officially signed on. And Nev Campbell is expected to as well. All right. We loved Ready or Not, so yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, that should be good. All right. So did I. We love it, as always. Appreciate the knowledge. Daniel Baldwin, you can find him at The Schlocketeer. Thank you. All right. Thanks for having me. Boy, looking ahead to next week, we have a load. This could, If all these do come in and we get reviews for all of them, I think this will set a record. I think you're for, right. Uh, for the most movies that we covered in a week. So let's see what happens. The Tax Collector comes next week. <laughs> that sounds funny. <laughs> Waiting for the Barbarians? Yeah, I've actually, I've already seen that one, so one down. Red Penguins, hockey movie. Mm -hmm. River City Drumbeat. Senior Love Triangle. Loved You've it. Already I seen loved that it. One. Okay. I loved it. American Pickle. Oh, that's the one with Seth Rogen. Mm -hmm. Okay, looking forward to that. La Llorona. It's not the one you're thinking of, but I did enjoy it. Also, another one we've already seen, She Dies Tomorrow. Yeah, I like that, too. I Used to Go Here. Made in Italy. Spinster. Limbo. And this one is just for me, George. You never had it. It is a documentary about Charles Bukowski. Oh, I like some Bukowski. I know it. Oh, that's very cool. All right, so all that next week. See if we can cram all that into 30 or 40 minutes. That'll be a tough <laughs> one. But uh, in the meantime, let us know what you thought about the batch this week. If you love the secret dare to dream, that's fine. You can let me have it and tell us why. Always good to keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can easily find us at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus, the main website where you can find our written reviews from all of our writers, our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. By the way, a new one just dropped. 
with a special guest as we talk about our favorite blondes in horror. Mm-hmm. And that's a fun one. You can find all that at madwolf.com. Thanks again to Daniel Baldwin. You can find him at The Schlocketeer, keeping us updated on all the latest studio news and movie news. And we'll talk to him next week as well. And until next week, thank you for dropping by. If you would do us a favor while you're here and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, we would appreciate it. Yes, we would. Until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>